Today I'm going to be reading from First uh, Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 9. And the topic of the sermon today is chosen to obey. So we will talk about what it means to be chosen to obey God. We'll talk about Peter a little bit and, and a little bit of his background. We'll talk about what it means to be chosen. How, how does this come about? What are we chosen for? We'll talk about obedience to God and what that looks like to us as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's pray and then I will read 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 9. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time today to preach your word. Father, and I pray that throughout this whole sermon time, God, that you would be glorified. May Jesus Christ be glorified in it all. God, may he increase and I decrease, God, none of me, but all of you. I pray that the truths that are in your word that we will read, God, I pray that it will penetrate the hearts, God, not only of those who have already trusted in you, God, but if there are those here who have not, Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sin, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that we will see the, the necessity of our duty to obey you, the importance of obeying Christ and what that means to us in a day like today. Father, I pray that you would word my mouth. Do not let me say anything that takes away from your word. May you get the glory from every word that is spoken. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So First Peter chapter 1. If you can turn there with me, we will read verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, 
being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. <clears throat> so in a time such as this that we are currently living in, where things continue to press in on us from every side, while we are navigating the difficulties of life, we must not forget to whom we belong. The church is being attacked from the outside by the world, which we should expect, but it's also being attacked from the inside by those who would rather be friends of the world and enemies of God rather than messengers of the light that they were called to be. For those who desire, whose desire is to remain faithful to God, they will face persecution. No matter how light or intense the persecution may be, these people are determined to obey, for it is to this that they are called and chosen. Even though that is the case, there comes a time when encouragement is needed. And that's what Peter did when his audience faced persecution. He encouraged them. And that is what we will look at today. So verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So right out the gate, we see that Peter, he, he, he is an apostle of Christ. But listen, this is not something that he put out front to say that, listen, I am the one who is in authority. I have the authority of God. He was not boasting in this title. And you can see that even in chapter 5 when he calls himself a fellow elder. So saying that he is, he is one of us, one of the people that he is speaking to. He's saying, I am one of you, but he is speaking with the authority of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one of the 12 apostles named in Matthew 10 who were selected by Christ. The same person whom Christ said, of whom Christ said, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This was after Peter made a confession of faith in Christ. You can see that in Matthew 16. This is the same Peter who denied Christ and was later restored by him after Christ was resurrected. He then commanded Peter to tend his sheep, to tend, to tend his lambs, to, to shepherd his sheep, to tend Christ's sheep. And this was all motivated by Peter's love for Christ. You remember in John, he, J Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, 
I love you. And Jesus said, tend my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you, Peter said to Jesus. Christ said to him, tend my sheep. So Peter was sure of his mission and of his calling that was set forth by Jesus Christ. He knew that his life was going to end in persecution. He faced much persecution and still he pressed on. There are many examples in the book of Acts which will show how Peter was instrumental in the building of Christ's church. The text that we have in front of us today shows us how he cared for Christ's sheep as he was commanded. See, Peter was sympathetic to what his audience was going through, knowing persecution firsthand. He knew how to encourage through the issues that were in front of them. He took seriously the command of Christ to care for his flock. And we see that here in our text, in our text today. So who, who was Peter's audience and what kind of persecution were they facing? So it says to those who were, who, who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are the people who Peter were, who he was addressing. These were believers who were being persecuted. Peter was addressing an audience comprised primarily of <clears throat> Gentile believers, those who have been converted to Christ. And these believers were being persecuted just for the fact that they were Christians. They were looked at as being outsiders. They did not participate in the things that they once participated in while they were in the world. They did not conduct themselves in the same manner as those within that culture did. And they were ostracized and maligned for it. Peter addressed this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 11 and 12. If you want to flip over and read that with me, he said, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter was telling them, listen, we, I, I know that they are, they are slandering you. They are maligning you because of who you are in Christ. But keep your behavior excellent so that the things that they say about you, these things will not stick. But even in this, as you keep your behavior excellent, maybe the Lord will be gracious enough to bring those who are persecuting you to himself based on your conduct, based on your obedience to me. Those within the worldly culture of that day could not wait to devour the Christians for any misstep that was made. These believers 
were living in exile in the land that did not feel like it was home because of how they were being treated for their faith in Christ. Now, there is some difference in opinion and the level of persecution that was faced uh, by Peter's audience, even the timing of some of it. But that's not something that we were that we're going to get into today. However, the things that that they likely suffered were insults, slander, beatings, possible mistreatment by uh, authorities and government and things of that manner. Again, we won't deal with all of those nuances today, but we will suffice it to say that these believers were facing trials. They were facing persecution, some more intense than others, but they were facing persecution nonetheless. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, First uh, Peter chapter one verses six and seven it says, "In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Why? Why? So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise." and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a faith that does not fail. <clears throat> at the outset of his address to these believers, Peter reminded the audience of their being the chosen or elect of God. He says that at the end. He says, who are chosen. Now, I know if you have a different translation, if you have the uh, the ESV, it comes right out the gate and tells you that these are the elect. I'm reading from the New uh, New American Standard. It, it doesn't get that quite explicit, but these are the chosen, the elect of God that even the ESV uh, speaks of. But why, right out of the gate, would this be important for those whom the letter was being addressed to. Well, see, there would be comfort in knowing that no matter what they were facing, no matter the level of persecution that they were facing, that they were chosen of God. Isn't it comforting to you to know that you are chosen of God? No matter what you face in life, you are chosen of God. But see, why would this be such a great factor in what was being faced, being chosen? Why is this such a big factor here? The answer to that, I think, depends on what you know about God's choosing of them and also God's choosing of you whenever you face trial, when you face persecution, when you face tribulation. It's important to know that God has chosen you who are his children today. So what does it mean to be chosen? And by, by whom are we chosen? And what is the reason that we are chosen of God? The word chosen, and this is just a basic definition according to Webster's Dictionary, 
It, it means one who is the object of choice or of divine favor, an elect person. Now, I got to confess, when I pulled this up in the Webster's Dictionary, especially the online dictionary, and I saw that this was the definition, I said, wow. <laughs> wow. Because, listen, the words in the digital def- uh, dictionaries, uh, I'm telling you now, they change, they're fluid, they change as the times change. And I would encourage you to get a dictionary that is 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 a paper copy of it that is set that cannot be changed because as the world changes, so do the definitions of words and meanings and people will try to play on that. But listen, I, it shocked me to see this because it's, listen, that's, that's what it means to be chosen. And Peter knew well of God's choosing and salvation. He heard from the Lord directly in John 15, chapter 15, verse 16, he's, Jesus said, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. So to be chosen in the context of first Peter is referring to salvation, salvation from the impending wrath to come through death and hell for eternity to those who reject the Lord. This salvation is a choice of God in eternity past to raise spiritually dead sinners to life. These same sinners are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and him alone. Salvation is a work that can only be performed by God. Understand that. That is important. It can only be performed by God. Man, in his fallen condition, will not choose God. And contrary to the belief of some, they cannot choose God. We'll talk more about that later. But there is nothing within man that wants God. Yes, you are an image bearer of God when you are born and placed on this earth but understand that you want nothing to do with him you are an enemy of God why why because man is so entrenched in sin and loves sin so much that they want nothing to do with God on top of that They hate his son. John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So people do not come to God because they are so deeply entrenched in sin They love that sin so much, they don't want to let it go. And they know that if they come to the light, and as John 3.20 says, the, the light, that's capital L, Jesus Christ is the light. They know that as they approach him, their evil deeds will be exposed. And rather than 
come to God and have those evil deeds exposed and worked out in him through the work that Christ has done on the cross. They cling so tight to that darkness. And they go further and deeper into darkness. And there is nothing that they can do on their own to bring themselves out. It takes God. So no matter how lively a person may be apart from God, they are dead, spiritually dead, mind, will, emotion, dead to the things of God. There is nothing within them that would cause them to one day wake up and decide, I'm going to choose God. I'm going to choose him. I'm going to genuinely repent of my sin and have faith in Christ. There is nothing within them that wants that. No, God chooses his children first. And it is through him that our hearts of stone are broken to where we can respond to him. We must first be regenerated. God chose his children first and through his son, salvation for the elect was secured. Ephesians 2.1, Paul says that we were formerly dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.5 and Colossians 2.13 describes us as having been dead in our transgressions. And dead men can do nothing by way of holiness or to please God. Spiritually dead people continue to do spiritually dead things. That is what they practice. All the while, as Romans 2 says, storing up wrath for themselves. For the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There is nothing that escapes the sight of God. Not your evil thoughts, not your evil deeds. Nothing escapes the view of God. And you may think that you are getting away with something, but you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment if you do not repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Those of us who are in Christ did not come to him by our own doing. It took the miracle working power of God for us to be raised from death to life. So to think that someone by their own choosing can suddenly become spiritually awakened is an errant way of thinking. And not only that, it is unbiblical. We've heard a fraction of what Paul had to say about man's condition. Now listen to what Jesus says about the matter in relation to salvation and man's condition. John chapter 1 verse 11. 
starting in verse 11 through verse 13, it says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The next passage in John chapter 3, starting at verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, this is Nicodemus. When Nicodemus came to him, asking him, how can, uh, how can one inherit the kingdom of God? How can one be saved? Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, he must be born again. Born from, from above. This is not a work that is done by man, by his own merit. He does not choose God. A little further down in John 3, it's, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, who is, is born from above. You must be born from above. Try that out on some of your friends and, 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 and your family. Whenever they ask you, you try to explain the gospel to them, and they say, oh, you're, you're one of those born-agains, aren't you? One of those crazy Christians, the born-agains, right? Say, no, no, I'm born from above. See how they like that one. <laughs> See where that, where that takes the conversation. But listen, that is the truth. We must be born from above. It is a work of God. To take the point further, John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So in these passages alone, we see that children of God were given the right to become so by the will of God. We also see that you must be born anew, born from above, from God, born of the spirit. And finally, we see that you cannot come to Christ in repentance and faith unless God the Father First draws you. Salvation depends on God and not on you. Salvation is of God and not of man. Remember this in, in your witnessing. You know, you don't need to constantly prod and push and prod and push every time, every moment that you are around someone who doesn't believe. The call of the gospel is urgent. Yes, but you need to know the gospel, clearly present the gospel, and leave the results to God. 
Be confident that God will save his elect ones. Not one of God's chosen ones will be excluded from eternal life because not one drop of Christ's blood that spilled to the ground was wasted. Not one. It will accomplish its purpose. So you have to trust that God, as he saved you, will save his elect ones. You preach the gospel, leave the results of it to God. John, John chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. In verse 25, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This should give us hope for those whom we witness to. Jesus says that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. They will live. Remember, we read Ephesians chapter 2, 1. It says what? You were what? Dead in your trespasses and sin. But Jesus says, there is a day when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He also says, John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John chapter 10 my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So God's work, Christ, Christ's work that he set out to do on the cross, those who are elect of God will come to him. His sheep will hear his voice and they will respond to him. But again, this is a work of God and not of man. So now, even in all of this, you may be tempted to say, but I know that I made a choice to give my life to Christ. I know I made the choice to turn from my sin. I'll entertain that briefly. Only to say this. That you made the choice because your heart was first regenerated from a heart of stone to one of flesh. You did not do that. God did that. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 and 27. It says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Again, 
that was true then, it's true now for everyone who believes in Christ. God did that. You could not conjure up the faith to believe. God gave it to you. You could not muster up enough strength to obey the command to turn to God from sin and believe in Jesus Christ. God caused you to obey the command. He caused you to be born again. So let's sum all that up to say you had no choice but to make the choice. It was made in eternity past by God. He did the work. See, this should cause us then to say, as Peter did in first, uh, first Peter chapter three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you who know the Lord, praise God that he saved you. Praise God that he brought you from death to life. Praise God that he will keep you. This should be an encouragement to us as it would have been to the believers in Peter's audience who were facing persecution. Is that not encouragement? So we, we are chosen. How does all of that take place? How, how does it take place that we are chosen? First Peter chapter 2, it says, according First uh, Peter chapter one verse two. It says, "According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit." Let's talk about what that means. This sanctifying work of the Spirit is the work of setting believers apart for holiness. Now, there is some responsibility for us on our end to follow that command of God to be holy, to be perfect, right? But that power only comes from the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Foreknowledge. What does this mean? This speaks of an intimate knowledge of a person, uh, the, the, the kind of intimacy that a husband and a wife uh, experience. Human relationships have, have bonds of love that grow over time as we learn more about each other and spend more time with, with each other. We kind of, we, we grow closer to each other. We love each other more, right? I mean, that's if everything goes well, right? We still are in the flesh. Um, but this, this is not so with the foreknowing love of God. He loved us before we had a chance to do anything. Foreknowledge is not foresight. See, foresight says that God looked through the lens of time and saw that one day you would choose him. Therefore, based on what, what, what he saw through that lens of time, he based his decision to choose you on that foreseen knowledge that you one day would come to your senses and repent of your sin and believe in him. No, no, that, that's not correct. God does not learn anything. 
See, for him to look down through the lens of time, he would have to learn something about you. God does not learn anything. He knows all things and did not need to know what you would do before he loved you. In fact, he knew that if it was not for him, you would be destined for doom. He chose you. And it's an intimate knowing, this foreknowledge. It is an intimate knowing of someone. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations before you were formed in the womb. Listen to that. Take that into account when you think of your salvation and your choosing. God's choosing of you, should I say. Before you were formed in the womb. So then what is foreknowledge? Let's let the word define it for us. Let the Bible define what foreknowledge is for us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we'll read verses 3 through 6, and then verses, <clears throat> or and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and you will hear some familiar language here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In Christ. Chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, two of the most powerful words in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Praise God. Amen. Thank him for the work that he has done in your life. If you know him. You were saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not of works. Your choice to follow God of your own merit would constitute work, as does any other thing that you try to perform to gain or hold on to salvation. Christ on the cross, when he was dying, before he died, he said, take telestai, it is finished. The work that he set out to accomplish has been finished. It's done. You cannot add anything to it, nor can you take anything away from it. You are saved for or unto good works, not the other way around. You not you don't do good works and then come to salvation. See, it is imperative to know this truth because we see that the greatest threat to us has lovingly been removed by our God who loved us so much that he chose an eternity past to save us from his certain wrath to come in the day of judgment upon sinners who reject him. Now you can freely obey God. And obey the command of God. But what about those who reject Christ? And we won't go into it too much, but what about those who reject Christ? Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. First <clears throat> Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> starting at verse 5. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. See, Christ is either a means of salvation or judgment to all human beings. To those who believe, he is a means of salvation. To those who do not believe, judgment. He is a stumbling block to those who do not believe, and it is as if they trip and fall on this rock of offense to them and fall all the way to their doom or judgment. These people are not appointed to disobedience, but what they are appointed to is doom because of their disobedience and unbelief. 
As salvation is appointed by God, so is judgment. Either you are God's elect chosen for salvation or you are appointed for doom. Do we see why it is important to have a firm grip on what all of this means? What it means to be chosen by God. So we we talked about being chosen, being the elect of God, and we barely scratched the surface of it. But let's move forward to talk about why we were chosen. The second half of First Peter um, chapter one, uh, verse two. It says, you were chosen to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Being sprinkled with Christ's blood is covenant language. And Peter knew the word of God. And he used this passage metaphorically to say that all who have obeyed the command to repent and believe in Christ have been sprinkled with his blood. As a sign of, a, of, of the uh, covenant made by God with believers. Exodus chapter 24 verses 1 and 8, if you, uh, 1 through 8, if you want to write that down for later, read it. You will see more about this covenant that God made with the children of Israel. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 verses 19 through 22 explains it also. Write that down. Read it later so you can see what this covenant language is all about. See, we were chosen to obey Christ. How do we obey Christ? If that is what we were chosen for, how do we do it? Where do we go to uh, to find out how we obey Christ? Do we go to the commands in Scripture and then follow each one of them? Do, do we go to the Sermon on the Mount and, and read it and then apply it as a checklist for Christian uh, Christian obedience and, and Christian living? Is that what we do? So, so, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So you say, "Okay, I get it. Don't be angry. I'm not an angry person. Got it. Check. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I said to you. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do not lust. Okay, I got it. Check. I haven't committed adultery. I don't lust. Got it. Check. Another another, another check off the box, right? In obedience to God. Christ then goes on to give his commands and instructions on divorce, making false vows, uh, loving your enemies. And, and, you know, some may say, listen, I'm good with all of that. I can check these boxes confidently. But in Matthew 5, 48, he then says this. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How are you doing with that? Not only that, you could fast forward over to Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. So you go ahead, check your boxes. I've done everything, right? There's nothing. Nothing that, that, that I can't say is not checked off. 
Have you done the will of the Father? What is this will of the Father? The will of the Father is that you do the will of the Son. What is the will of the Son? That you would do the will of the Father. How do you honor the will of the Father? By obeying the Son. How do you obey the Son? The first matter of obedience is repentance and faith in Christ and submitting to Christ as Lord. As a matter of first importance, you must obey the call of the gospel. You must understand that the call to repent and believe the gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command to believe in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and, and all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is this same gospel of which Jesus spoke when he said, the time is fulfilled in Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, once this is settled, you are no longer an enemy of God. In fact, you are reconciled to him through Christ. And you can go on freely to obey the commands of God. The chief command for dying unregenerate sinners has been satisfied in Christ through your repentance and faith in him, which you were chosen to do in eternity past. Now there is no reason for you not to move forward in obedience. That is what God has chosen you for. He chose you to enter into covenant relationship with his son and has given you an abundance of grace and peace. So what does that look like? There are many examples we can we can stay in the book of First uh, Peter to find out what obedience looks like. You look in First uh, Peter chapter one, verses 14 through 15, chapter two, verses 13 through 17. There are many, many matters of obedience that, that we can find the commands that are given by God through Peter. Uh, just take the first one, for example, in, in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Okay? Why, why is that important in such a time as this, in such a time as, as persecution that they were facing? Why is he telling them to, to, uh, to be holy in their conduct? You know, uh, we, we talked about it, the, um, keeping the behavior excellent, but also you have to understand with persecution, it brings pressure. And when you are pressured, you sometimes fall back into the things that you used to do that 
former way of life because the pressure is so heavy. Peter's saying, no, don't fall back into these things that you were saved from. Remember, to obey Christ is to do the will of the Father. There are many other commands and instructions in the Bible that should be followed, and it should not be an issue for us, for if we love Christ, his commands will not be burdensome. So what do we do with all of this? We've read how we have been chosen to obey God for obedience to Christ, um, how, how it is exercised, uh, or so, sorry, how is this exercised in our culture today? same way that it has been done through every generation of Christianity. We bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ throughout the world. We call men to repentance and faith in Christ. We call them out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Amen? So there are things that the Bible tells us to do. We are, and even in First Peter, we are to love, you know, love our wives. You know, we, we're, we're wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, you regard them as the, the, the weaker vessel. We love them. We love the brethren. You know, we are supposed to do things that bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Assemble with other believers. Love one another. That's what we do, right? These are the things. Those, those are not a problem for us, right? But listen. <clears throat> it is important to know that you are chosen because, again, the worst thing is settled. That chasm that is between you and God. That chasm, there, there, there is now that, that bridge for you now to come to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why was it important for Peter's audience to know that they were chosen for that same reason? Because as they faced that persecution, the, the, the various trials that they were facing for, you know, to, to show that the proof of their faith is, is more precious than gold. As things increased, as it got more intense, they could look back to the fact that they were chosen in eternity past to believe in Christ. And no matter what they were faced with, no matter what they were going through, they had an inheritance that was waiting for them. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This inheritance is reserved for you. Nobody else. So that would have given them the encouragement that they needed to Press on. Things for them were tough. The persecution the, the, that, that they were facing just for being a Christian, it was tough. Intense 
some more intense than others. But they did not focus on that. They were to focus on the inheritance that was to come at the revelation of Jesus Christ, which was to be found. That, that faith that, that they had was to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That should be encouragement for you as well. You have an inheritance that is reserved for you. So we do the things that God tells us to do, right? In his word that we had just talked about, the things that seem easy. However, I'll say this. It it, it seems like in the body of Christ, there is a hesitancy to deal with the things that the culture presents to us. There seems to be a hesitancy to call people to repentance and faith in Christ. We're too focused on wanting to be be nice and not offend anyone. But listen, we were called to expose the deeds of darkness. We were called to be the salt and light. How do we expose that darkness? By preaching the gospel and pointing people to the light of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 6 through 14 will tell you about exposing the deeds of darkness. And it tells you to awake, O sleeper, at the end. And the church, on so many matters, it seems like they are asleep. And Jesus says, awake. The word says, awake, O sleeper. Why do I say that? That the church seems to be asleep. Listen, Christ's church is being built. It will be built. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Understand that. That is the truth. But the cultural issues that we are facing today, so many people back off of them. Expose the deeds of darkness for which there is no shortage. We see the, the LGBTQIA plus movement that is going on. They're shutting down streets to par- parade wickedness. Are we going to stand against it? Are we going to stand for God's design of one man and one woman? Transgenderism. Will you stand against it or will you let it creep into your home or even into your church? Because believe it or not, it's happening. Churches are having celebrations for those who are coming out as transgender. Are you going to stand against it? Will you celebrate it? I I watch, I don't know how many videos of people who are celebrating two-year-old, like two-year-old Susie who says that she's a boy, feels that she's a boy, and the parents, what do they do? They run and get her hair cut, put her in boys' clothes, and start calling her Johnny. Are you going to stand against these things? It's going to come to you in your workplace. I can't tell you how many emails that I've seen. Pride celebration, join us, celebrate. It's going to cost you something. And you got to understand. You need to 
make it up in your mind that you will stand against it. Abortion. While the fight continues to be able to murder babies in the womb, now it's moved to even outside of the womb. Up to seven days later. To murder a child. Are you going to be silent on these matters? Or are you going to stand against it? See, the darkness is increasing and those who are involved with it are bold in their approach. They could care less. Their goal is to stamp out Christianity. They hate Christ. They hate the light. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. They can't get to Christ, so they come after you. Who say that you believe in him. Are you going to be silent on these matters? See, the list could go on. But we have to determine in our hearts that we are going to be comforted by the words that are spoken in Christ's word, in, in, in the Bible, that, that we are chosen to obey him. And the first matter of importance, if you are chosen, is settled. You have trusted in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the work that he has done on your behalf. You know that there is no way that you could have done that yourself. It is a work of God. Salvation is the gift of God. You are secure. You have an inheritance that is to come. For those who do not know Christ, I plead with you, run to him. Run to the Savior. He is the only way. See, even though God chooses people and it is his responsibility to save them, we still have work to do. We have to obey the call of God to be light in the darkness, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not know who his sheep are. He does. But we have to get out and call them to him. If you don't know the Lord today, I pray that you will run to him.